Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. One of counterattacks in the Cold War. As 1949 wore on, we got increasing evidence of the success of this counterattack against communism. For one thing, we knew that the voice of America was getting results. Knew it because of the expensive and elaborate measures the Russians took to jam those broadcasts, to ring down a curtain of static. Listen. This is an actual broadcast by the Voice of America as monitored in Moscow. And as for Moscow Radio itself, well, it had to take on not the West alone, but the heretic, Tito. The working people of our country are full of indignation evoked by the latest foul action of the fascist beast in Belgrade. And that's the end of the news broadcast to you from Radio Moscow. But from the best evidence available, there was no weakening of Tito's position among his own people. They cheered mightily at the anniversary celebration of the People's Front Government for Marshal Tito. Where the West was aided by the break in communist ranks, there was also the tremendous effort of our own people. The Berlin Airlift which made a place called Tempelhof the busiest airport in all history. Rocket Hill, nine years later, Tempelhof weather is unlimited, high broken, seven miles, wind northwest is fixed, all center setting at 3001, landing at 270. An actual moment recorded at Tempelhof Tower as traffic control men guided in the ceaseless flights of supplies for blockaded Berlin. It was a spectacular show, the airlift, and it worked. In 1949, the Russians ended the blockade of Berlin. It had failed. Another factor in the counterattack was the growing unity of the West, the formation of the Council of Europe at Strasbourg. And here, a lighter moment in that very serious story. It happened when England's Winston Churchill spoke in faltering French to the people of Strasbourg. Je vous remercie, monsieur, mesdames, citoyens de Strasbourg, de votre accueil. Et... The Atlantic Pact. The North Atlantic Security Alliance, as important a chapter in American and world history as the Monroe Doctrine. The delegates of the North Atlantic nations met in Washington to sign it and hear these words from the President of the United States. In this treaty, we seek to establish freedom from aggression and from the use of force in the North Atlantic community. This is the area which has been at the heart of the last two world conflicts. To protect this area against war will be a long step toward permanent peace in the whole world.
With ratification of the Atlantic Pact, there came a more difficult step for the administration. Now that there was a diplomatic alliance, Europe needed guns and money. The Secretary of State speaking. Any sign of weakness or irresolution on our part now would seriously jeopardize all the gains we have made so far toward the achievement of peace and security in the only kind of world in which we would want to live. But now was to come the time when the left wing of American politics became more articulate and louder in denouncing a policy that spent millions on arms little for housing. This was the view of Henry Wallace. The administration's entire foreign policy is not a program to maintain peace, but to prepare for war. It is not a defensive program, but an aggressive and provocative program. No friend of the communists is socialist Norman Thomas, respected by many of less radical views for his forthright honesty. Norman Thomas, too, was certain that no good could come of this new armament program. I am as sure as I am that I sit here that the generation of my children and certainly of my grandchildren will not escape a third world war if this armament race continues. But the power of the administration was great in Congress. The lawmakers voted guns for friendly nations abroad and echoed the sentiments of a top strategist of the last war, a top strategist now of the Cold War, Field Marshal Viscount Montgomery. Now, communism is a religion. It is anti-Christian, it is retrograde, it is immoral. And it is the duty of the Western democracies to ensure that this crisis through which the world is passing does not lead to the destruction of the civilization, uh, the culture, and the standard of living which is our heritage. We were a nation divided this year when it came to the question of the guilt or innocence of a handful of fellow citizens accused as communists, sometimes as spies. Still unsolved as 1949 ends is the riddle of whether this man lies. My name is Alger Hitt. My residence is at 22 East 8th Street, New York City. I am not and never have been a member of the Communist Party. Of all the spy cases, the communist investigations and trials, none had deeper meaning than the case of Alger Hiss, trusted official of the government with a brilliant record in diplomacy, and yet he stood accused of perjuring himself because he denied he committed espionage. The first trial was long, tangled, sometimes sordid. It resulted in no verdict. At year's end, a second trial was still in progress, considering again the story of a strange man named Whitaker Chambers. I am a man who grudgingly, reluctantly, step by step, is destroying himself so that this nation and the faith by which it lives may continue to exist. Then there's the case of former government girl Judith Copeland, already convicted on one count of a spy conspiracy, now being tried on another with the Russian Gubachev. Perhaps hers is a tragedy of history, too, for Judy Copeland. The only thing that I can say, and that I've always said, is that I'm innocent. History will mark 1949 as the year a political trial without precedent in our country came to the end of round one. The long ordeal of Judge Medina was over. The 11 communist leaders were convicted. Weary, too, was the government's prosecutor, John McGoey. The trial here was long and tedious. In representing the government, I presented the evidence to the best of my ability to support the charge. That was my duty. The jury deliberated carefully and reached a verdict. Uh, that was it, Judy. 
Also convicted after the tangled trial were the attorneys for this American Politburo. One of those held in contempt was Harry Socker. The sentence came as a great shock. It is the most devastating indication that it is later in America than we think, when American lawyers can be sent to jail for their courageous and vigorous defense of the constitutional rights of their clients. Decisions from high courts on the case of the Communist Party USA still to come. There were times during the year when the anti-communist campaign seemed to backfire. The self-styled patriot J. Parnell Thomas in jail for crimes against his government. There was something ugly about an incident at a place called Peekskill. But agencies such as the Committee on Un-American Activities did score. This was the time when the witness was a young Negro named Jackie Robinson. I've been asked to express my views on Paul Robeson's statement in Paris to the effect that American Negroes would refuse to fight in any war against Russia because we love Russia so much. I haven't any comment to make except that, uh, on that statement, except that if Mr. Robeson actually made it, it sounds very silly to me. Most Negroes and Italians and Irish and Jews and Swedes and Slavs and other Americans would act just as all these groups did in the last war. They'd do their best to keep their country out of war. If unsuccessful, they'd do their best to help their country win the war against Russia or any other enemy that threatened us. Still another worry for the American government in 1950, China. Reports have it that the first few days of this year will see Great Britain recognize the victorious communist government of China. And yet, there are many in responsible positions in our country urging even more aid for the remnants of Chiang Kai-shek's forces. Against this reasoning in the year gone by was the majority in Congress and such veteran lawmakers as the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Tom Conley. The United States has always been a friend to China. The committee is friendly to China. However, it must be borne in mind that we have already, within the recent past, given to China more than two billions of dollars. It must be remembered that Chiang Kai-shek, who is head of the national government, resigned as premier and as head of that government, and repaired to Formosa. He took with him $300 million in gold, gold bullion, the property of the nationalist government. The committee was not disposed to vote any money to be turned over to Chiang Kai-shek. But the State Department seemed to be steering a middle course. No more aid to Chiang. He had a backhanded recognition of nationalist China's right to blockade communist seaports. Inevitable in 1950, a firm decision on policy for China. For the labor government of Great Britain, this was the most trying of its five years in power. The austerity program Britons have imposed upon themselves since the war became even more rigid during the year now ending. Coming up early in 1950, new elections. Labor candidates were hard put to answer the questions of their constituents, but they tried, as did this laborite up for office in a by-election in Bradford South. When are they going to cut down government expenditure? Uh, a lady says, uh, when are we going to cut down government expenditure? I am sure the government... Uh, will, as soon as possible, and as time goes on, attempt every step which will make for greater efficiency. The big fight is still to come. All of England is listening to the debate. The debate that pits the big guns of both parties against each other, as in this exchange between Labour's Emmanuel Chinwell and the Conservatives' Anthony Eden. 
It is for big business a desperate affair. Because if the Tories should lose, as we expect they will, they will see their power slipping away from them. And that is one thing they can't tolerate. It means that full employment must end. Because big business must have a margin of unemployed that it can use in order to keep the workers in their place. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not a word of truth in there. No man in his senses in this country wants to see a return to mass unemployment. The people of Britain will decide in 1950. A new nation born in Europe this year amid many misgivings. There were those who feared the new Germany might someday look like the old. Out of the chaos that was Germany, divided by East and West, came a state with a new constitution created in the old university city at Bonn. The military control that had been General Lucius Clay's passed into the hands of a hopeful high commissioner for Germany. His name, John McCloy.